All right, good evening. Welcome to the mine. We're so glad you're here. It's going to be a little bit different tonight because we're, you know, two days away from Thanksgiving. And uh, Seth is off with his family for the Thanksgiving holiday, so we're not going to have worship tonight. So this is sort of going to be like Pastor Jeff unplugged, you know, just sort of, you know, the raw version without any worship or anything. So you're going to have me for the full hour tonight. So I apologize for that. Um, and, and I know that, um, too, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, we've got a lot of folks that are away and aren't going to be here tonight. I totally understood that. And I understand, too, that none of the children's ministries wanted to do anything tonight. So we're sort of the lone ministry. Uh, but I decided I wanted to have it anyway. I figured I didn't care if 30 people came out. We're going to have the mind. So, yeah. So thank you for coming. And we're going to have a great time, I think, in the Word tonight, looking at Romans chapter 14. Let me just, before we get started tonight, a couple of announcements. Uh, many people, again, have been asking me, when's the mine over for the year? Tuesday, December the 11th is the last Tuesday for the mine this year. Let me just tell you where we're going. Tonight we're covering chapter 14 of Romans. Uh, Tuesday, November the 27th, we'll be covering chapter 15 of Romans. Tuesday, December the 4th, we'll be covering chapter 16 of Romans and finishing out Romans. But then Tuesday, December the 11th, I hope you'll come back for that last one. I'm going to have a special Christmas message that night. We're going to have some great Christmas music that night. And we're going to allow you guys a chance to have a big time of party out there, okay? Uh, we're having lots of people bring cookies and refreshments. The cafe is going to stay open that night for the entire evening. The bookstore is going to be open for the entire evening. And the mine is just going to have a big Christmas party that night. All right. So that is, yeah. So that's Tuesday, December the 11th. So again, mark that on your calendar. Then we'll be off Tuesday, December 18th. We'll be off, obviously, Tuesday, December 25th for Christmas. We'll be off Tuesday, January the 1st for New Year's. And then we will start back up Tuesday, January the 8th, diving into the book of Ephesians. And again, let me just encourage you, if you're enjoying coming to the mine, we've got plenty of seats. Uh, I, I know a lot of people that are going to start back up with us in January. And uh, just keep inviting people and we'll see what happens. Yes. You know, that's something that I think next week we'll let you know about that. Yeah. Yeah, we got some gals working on that one. All right. Uh, here's what I'd like to do tonight. Uh, I'd like to begin in Romans chapter 13, actually, to set up something that we have tonight. Because for the very first time in the mind's history, we're actually going to show a video clip tonight. Because we've got the screen. Yeah, so... And it's from my favorite movie, Gettysburg. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'll start dancing up here in a minute. But anyway, um, it does go along with what we're talking about. That's why I chose this clip. But um, what I wanted to get into tonight is to, to sort of bridge between Romans 13 and Romans 14 and what he's talking about and how it ties into the video clip I'd just like to read, if you look in your Bibles, in Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, the verses that we ended with last week, I want to read those verses again, and I, I just want to share a few thoughts before we dive into chapter 14. He says, and do these things because we know the time, that it is already the hour for us to awake from sleep, for our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers the night has advanced toward dawn, the day is near, so then we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let us live decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in discord and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. Now, the reason I wanted to start with that passage tonight was because one of the things we talked about was the fact that He's reminding us about the struggle, the battle, the war that we are engaged in. That's why many times, especially in the New Testament, Paul uses uh, us in describing Christians as soldiers. 
uh, because in many ways, the spiritual warfare and the spiritual struggle that we're going through uh, has a lot of parallels to warfare. Uh, in fact, when we get to the book of Ephesians, we're going to be taking a whole couple of weeks to look at spiritual warfare from Ephesians chapter 6. He talks there in Romans 13 about putting on the weapons of light and about knowing the time. And, and I wanted to, to say this, that before we see this video clip tonight and how this ties in to Romans chapter 13 and 14 is this. God wants us to know the time in which we live. He, he wants us to know the urgency of the hour. He wants us to know that we are engaged in this great struggle. And now's not the time to, to drop out and, and, and not you know, be willing to say, yeah, I'm, I want to be a, a good soldier for Jesus Christ. That, that the days in which we live, because as he reminds us that the night continues to make advancing, and that the day of Christ is very near, that we need every Christian... We need every Christian to step up and be the Christian that, that God wants them to be, to shine their light. We need it so desperately because of the time in which we live. And, and we, we need to make sure that everybody's on board. Because the thing that's going to make the greatest impact in the world in which we live is when the church, I mean the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, can really unify together and in a sense march as one giant army. Alright? Now, I say all that because what you're going about to see um, is during the three-day battle of Gettysburg, which was the you know, the battle of the Civil War. It probably determined who won the Civil War. That on the first two days of the battle, the Confederate army was without their cavalry. And in those days, in that kind of fighting, the cavalry were the ears, the eyes. They helped the, the main body of the army know where the enemy was, know where they should position their troops and all of that. And General Jeb Stuart, the Confederate general in charge of the Confederate cavalry took the cavalry and was, you know, winding around the state of Pennsylvania, but he was not there in Gettysburg the first two days of the battle. So the clip you're about to see is that General Jeb Stuart finally arrives with his cavalry on the second night of the Battle of Gettysburg. He is called into the office of General Robert E. Lee, who's portrayed in the movie by Martin Sheen. You'll probably recognize his voice. And, and I just want you to observe the, the reaction, uh, the way General Robert E. Lee handles the situation with General Stewart. And, and I just want you to keep this in mind and how it relates with what we're going to talk about tonight from Romans chapter 14. And that is when General Stewart comes in, uh, as he hears from General Lee that there are some people in the Confederate Army that are pretty dissatisfied with the way he's handled these first couple of days, he gets very angry. He wants to go after him. You know, you tell me who these people are. And then when General Lee sort of puts him in his place, then he gets to a point where he becomes very discouraged and despondent. And he takes out his sword and he's about ready to resign from the army. And General Lee says, no, you know, take what what criticism I'm giving you as a man, learn from it, and, and let's get back and fight who the real enemy is. Because General Lee is reminding General Stewart here in this clip that, guys, we need everyone. And, and we need everybody on board. We need everybody to rally around the common goal here. And we need everybody to recognize who the real enemy is. You see, for General Stewart and for General Lee, the real enemy at that time was the Union Army. It wasn't each other. And the reason I say that is because when we come into Romans chapter 14 tonight, the main focus of what Paul's going to say to all of us as Christians is this. One of the things that we desperately need to happen in the church today amongst God's people is that we stop fighting amongst each other and that we start concentrating our focus and our efforts, efforts on fighting the real enemy. The real enemy. Because Paul says in the book of Ephesians to Christians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
But our struggle is with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. That's who our enemy is. And so when the church, when the true church begins to fight amongst each other, it takes our focus upon who we really should be focusing on and who we should really be fighting against. And I think you even get that from the movie clip we're about to say. Can I just put a quick plug in here too? This is my favorite movie. If you ever get a chance to watch the movie Gettysburg, rent it. It is a long movie. It's like Gone with the Wind. It's like almost five hours. But if you have five hours someday, you know, or maybe two and a half one day, two and a half the next, you'll like, I'm a history buff. And as many of you know, uh, besides the Bible, uh, my sort of hobby is history and especially Civil War history. And that's obviously why Gettysburg is so near and dear to my heart. Okay, my wife's telling me. All right. So watch the clip and we'll come right back and we'll dive into Romans chapter 14. There is no time for this. General Lee was again just reminding General Stewart, General, there's going to be a great battle tomorrow. And there's no time for how's this affecting me and what are others saying and what mistakes have been made. We need you on the battlefield. And we cannot allow this army to begin to fight amongst each other and get their eyes off of who the focus needs to be on. That's exactly what Paul is telling us as Christians at the end of chapter 13 on into chapter 14. In fact, notice as we begin chapter 14 tonight, he says, guys and gals, we've got to... We've got to remember what's really important. And we can't let minor things become the things that we major on. As Christians, through the wisdom of God and through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, we've got to continue to know what are the major things we need to deal with and what are those minor issues that we really should not get so caught up with and contentious about because they're holding us back from as an army of Jesus Christ again fighting who the real enemy is because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world and that's why then as he comes into chapter 14 talking to Christians he says this now receive the one who is weak in the faith and do not have disputes over differing opinions. One person believes in eating everything, but the weak person believes or person eats only vegetables. And the one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not. And the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything. For God has accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's some of what Paul is saying. He, he's saying there are clear-cut, right and wrong, black and white stuff in the Bible. That because it's there in black and white and it's very clear that we as Christians should not have any debate about those things. They're, they're clear and they're black and white and we know that this is wrong and this is right and there should be no time to even contend about those things but there's also many things within the church within the body of christ within the bible that aren't black and white they're they're what we might call gray areas they're they're the non-essentials of our faith there there are the essentials of our faith there are the core values of our faith that no christian should debate over but then there's a lot within the bible that the bible doesn't definitively say It's this way or it's that way. And God gives then every Christian a liberty, the personal liberty, to be able to interpret in your own walk with the Lord how you stand on those things. Now, in this context, Paul is saying here, I'm just pulling out because it was a big deal in our day, you know, the diet that you were on. You know, what you ate, what you didn't eat, what days you observed and what days you didn't observe. And he says, do you realize that in Rome... You guys are fighting amongst yourselves about your diet. And, and the ones who eat meat are looking down on the ones who only eat vegetables as if what's wrong with you, Christian? 
And then the ones who eat vegetables think that the ones who are eating meat are really unspiritual. How can you eat meat? You know, only real spiritual people only eat vegetables. And, and I realized we could apply, obviously, this language to a lot of different stuff. Because, again, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's not black and white. That's not what Paul's talking about in Romans 14. The black and white stuff, the, the stuff that's clearly right and wrong in the Bible, again, is stuff that God would say, as the church, we should all agree on because it's clear. The other stuff, hey, personal liberty. And you fall, how you fall on that based upon your own walk with the Lord. But what God doesn't want us as Christians to do is when we find other Christians who have differences of opinion about those non-essential issues, that somehow we pull away from them and that we pull back from them and that we, we cause schisms and divisions and disunity within the body of Christ. And we begin to fight with each other over these things that really don't matter rather than staying unified and focused on our real common enemy. That's why at the beginning of chapter 14, one of the key words there in the first verse is receive, accept each other. Don't let these differing opinions about these non-essential issues keep you from being unified too often in the body of Christ and in the church today. And I've been part of church ever since I was a baby. And I, I've seen this even in my life. Churches split over the style of music and, and, and over all these different things that God would say, really? You, you're really gonna, you're really gonna split over that? You're really gonna be disunified over those things? And there's Satan just laughing and just moving forward with the kingdom of darkness. And here's Christians just fighting amongst each other. And when Christians fight amongst each other, Satan's got us exactly where he wants us. Because again, instead of us focusing on who the enemy really is and putting our energy on, you know, going after the gates of hell, we're busy bickering with each other. And so Paul here is just saying to all of us as Christians, we're soldiers. And because we're soldiers of Jesus Christ, we're all supposed to be on the same team here, on the same side, and we shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be fighting the common enemy that's out there that the Bible clearly tells us is really our enemy. Notice in verse 5, one Christian might regard one day holier than other days, another regards them all alike. And again, that was one of the things that was taking place back then. A person that believed that certain days, whether they were holidays or holy days, was, was sort of a special day. And there were other Christians that said, you know what? To me, all 365 days of the year are special. And, and whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, I don't view those days any different than I do other days. Other Christians hold those days very sacredly. And all God is saying to all of us is, on both sides, no matter what you've come to, to believe about that, don't let those things separate you. Don't let those things begin to divide you as Christians. Because again, they're non-essential as far as God is concerned. God says, let's focus on the real enemy. And then I love, this is a key verse here, at the end of verse 5. When it comes to making determinations about these non-essential issues, here's what God says. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. God wants his people, his soldiers, to develop their own convictions about things. And not to live off the convictions of other people, because that's no good. Because if we really have our own convictions, then it's going to mean something to us. And we should be people of conviction. We, we should come to a point where we truly believe the truth. And, and there's certain things, like I said, that the Bible clearly teaches is truth. It's true, and, and we should latch on to it and believe it. I don't care, you know, what somebody says to me and how they package it and how they throw it at me. I'm not going to back up on the deity of Christ ever. To me, I, I became convinced that Jesus Christ is God a long time ago, and I don't care what argument somebody wants to, you know, engage me in. That's a conviction of my heart, and that will always be the case. Again, but that's a black and white thing. Jesus is God. 
But there's a lot, again, that's not black and white. And it's not essential. It's not that important when all is said and done. What your diet is, what you eat, what days you observe, what kind of music you listen to, all that kind of stuff. Again, we could go on and on and add the practical application, but here's what God does say to all of us as Christians. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Each person must be fully convinced in your own mind. And what God wants us to do, and that's one of the cool things about a Bible study and by getting into the Word and whatever, is we begin to develop our own convictions. And, and, and nobody wants you to live off somebody else's convictions. You'll never hear me say, hey, I think you should live that way because that's the way I believe. No. You'll never hear Pastor Lynn, Pastor Ron, or anybody say that around here. Because we don't want you to live off of our convictions. We want you to develop your own convictions about these things. And be able to back them up with Scripture. That's the most important thing. Because then, as God knows, it's going to really affect your life. Because if this is your conviction, then you'll live it. If it's somebody else's conviction, when the rubber meets the road, probably won't live it. Probably get rid of it. Because you're living off of somebody else's conviction and not your own. Notice verse 6. The one who observes the day does it for the Lord. The one who eats, eats for the Lord because he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains from eating, abstains for the Lord and he gives thanks to God. Paul says the most important thing is that whatever you do and whatever conclusion or conviction you come to, that you're doing it for the Lord. And, certainly appropriate two days before Thanksgiving, and you're giving thanks. That's the two most important things. Notice in verse 6 and 7. That whatever you do and whatever choices you make on non-essential issues, whatever conviction you come to, that you're not doing it for yourself, you're not doing it for somebody else, you're not doing it because somebody else believes it, you're doing it because you believe this is what the Lord wants for you, and you're able to give thanks to God because of it. Commitment to the Lord and thanks to the Lord. And living out your own convictions. This is the key. And then notice verse 7 and 8. For none of us lives for himself and none dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In other words, again, a soldier of Jesus Christ is going to say, my allegiance, my full allegiance is to my commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. It's not to me. It's not to anybody else. I'm now in the Lord's army and whatever I do, however I live, even what, the way I die, I want it to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my allegiance is to Him. It's not to an organization. It's not even to a church. It's not to other Christians. It's not even to myself. It's to the Lord. And that should be the ultimate motivation and goal for what I do, why I do it, and determining even what I do and when I do it. Notice he tells us in verse 9, this is the reason Christ died and returned to life so that he may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. See, Christ paid for the right to be our Lord by dying for our sins and raising from the dead. And Paul's just saying, Christians owe their allegiance to Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that because Christ died and rose from the dead, we, we need to stop living for ourselves and start living for the one who died for us and rose for us and lives for us. Verse 10, but you who eat vegetables only, why do you judge your brother or your sister? And you who eat everything, why do you despise your brother or sister? Again, whatever choice you make on a non-essential issue don't let it become something to where it begins to manifest itself like, well, I'm a better Christian than you because I've chosen this way and have to view this on this non-essential issue, and you're viewing that. And see, for me, eating meat's always more spiritual than just eating vegetables. I mean, come on, right? You vegetarians out there, right? You just don't have the proper spirituality. And, of course, the vegetarians would say, oh, you people who eat meat, you are just totally carnal. <laughs> You're just, you know, terrible. And, and, again, I realize that today in the church, it's maybe not about our diet. It may be not about what days we observe. But there are an endless list 
of those non-essential issues that seem to cause division and strife within the body of Christ and even how we look at each other. And God says through Paul, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. Now we're going to come back to verse 11 and 12 towards the end. So don't think I'm skipping over that, but I want to go down to verse 13. Therefore, we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. Well, in warfare, not good to place a trap, you know. Again, we're supposed to be all part of the same army, and so obviously we don't want to be putting an obstacle or a trap in front of a soldier who's on our side, right? We don't want them using military language to be a a victim of friendly fire, and yet it happens. And here's why it happens. It happens because Sometimes in these non-essential issues, we become so stubborn that we try to force our convictions on other Christians. We, we, we say, well, this is the way I feel about this, and you have to feel this way too. And if you don't see it the way I see it, well, I'm going to force you to see it my way type of thing. And the reason that sets a trap or an obstacle is, let's say that either me using me as an example, or the other person that I'm talking about, either one of us needs to grow in our understanding and maybe come to a different viewpoint on the way we feel about something. Well, if somebody's trying to force me to believe something and force their conviction on me, all that's probably going to do is make me more stubborn and more ingrained in my belief so that if even God wanted to change me, I might not be willing to change just because of my pride now. Because now if I change my viewpoint about that, that person who was trying to force their convictions on me, they're going to come and see, I told you, you'd finally come to see it my way. And so Paul says, look, we've got to let the Lord work. And, and if you feel that another Christian has a differing viewpoint about something that's non-essential, let God work in their life. And, and if God really feels like that's something that needs to change in their life and that viewpoint needs to change, don't we think that God through His Word and through His Holy Spirit in time will help them make that change without us forcing them to make that change and trying to live out our convictions rather than theirs? Because again, going back to verse 5, God says each must be fully convinced in their own mind. God just expects me to live out my convictions. But God doesn't expect me to live out yours and vice versa. God doesn't expect you to live out mine. I know and am convinced, verse 14, in the Lord Jesus, there's nothing unclean in itself. And so Paul's simply saying, look, I'm technically, yeah, I'm siding on the person that says it's okay to eat everything. Because he says, I believe that. But notice what he says in verse 14. It is unclean to the one who considers it unclean. And what Paul and God is simply saying is, if you still have that conviction that what you're about to do is wrong and you would be violating your conscience and you would be going against your own conviction, then Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Because God never wants us to go against our convictions and our conscience. Now, he can change that, obviously. We've talked about that. But if you believe that, that something's unclean, then don't do it. Don't, and don't let somebody force you into doing something you're not comfortable as a Christian doing. And in fact, this is why he uses the language of stronger and weaker. You, you, could, you could insert the word immature there rather than mature at times, although sometimes the mature believer doesn't act mature because they're trying to force the less mature believers to always see things their way. Well, that's not mature either. So again, we have to be careful there. But God says, why don't you leave it up to me working in their life? Because notice in verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister in Christ is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. If you're, if you're forcing them to live out your conviction, if you're forcing your conviction on them and you're causing a distressing feeling within them that that they believe they're violating their own conscience and they're going against their own conviction that's not love paul says and and again 
within the body of Christ, we've got to realize that there's a lot of liberty. And not all Christians are going to see eye to eye on all these non-essential issues. In fact, we'll never see eye to eye on all these. And it's okay. Because they're non-essential. At the end of the day, they really don't matter. What matters is love, love for God, love for each other, staying unified as the body of Christ, knowing the time, and knowing who the real enemy is, and going after that rather than getting caught up in all these non-essential issues. Because notice in verse 15, he says some very powerful words here. Do not destroy by your food someone for whom Christ died. Really? You're you're, going to make food an issue here? You're going to cut off fellowship with a fellow Christian and you're going to force them to try to violate their own conscience and their own conviction because of food? Really? And so another thing that God is speaking to us here about is knowing what really is important within the kingdom of God, within the church. What, What should be our priorities? Are we going to get hung up on the minor things? That at the end of the day and in eternity when we're all in heaven, is it really going to matter? Or God says, should we stay focused on the things that really matter at the end of the day? Which notice, verse 16, Therefore do not let what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. I've always said, you know, in dealing with people, that sometimes you may be right, but you may be wrong by the way you're bringing out your right. You know, I'm right. Yeah, but the way you're coming across is turning everybody off. So are you really right? And Paul says, be careful that your good is not being spoken of as evil. You see, if we're trying to cram our convictions down other people's throats and they're not prepared to accept it yet, that's going to turn people off. Paul appeals, notice then in verse 17, to the essential issues that lay at the core of the kingdom of God and not to get caught up on all these minor things. For the kingdom of God does not consist of food and drink. That's not what we should get hung up on. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the one who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by people. The person who really understands what's really important and goes after that in life and doesn't, like a lot of Christians, get caught up on all these non-essential issues that divide the body of Christ, Paul says, hey, God's going to pat you on the back and other people are going to like you too. Because you're going to promote peace and unity. And it's not always going to be about you and making sure that everybody in the church believes it the way you see it. That's a hard discussion to have with some people. Hey, I I would love for everybody to come to Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. But I've had some hard discussions with some people who've stepped foot on campus and basically they didn't like the way Cornerstone did this or that and they felt like they were being sent by God to change it. And I had to have some hard discussions with them. I, I basically said, I don't think that's your job. And if God wants to see some things changed, He'll change it in His way without you having to, you know force your way upon everybody else that's just not the way it works and even if you're right by trying to do it the way you're doing it your good is going to be evil spoken of it's not going to be well received and if there's a summary verse in chapter 14 it's probably verse 19 if you and i want to take one verse away from this whole passage to me it's verse 19 so then after all that he said about not getting caught up on the minor things and majoring on the minors and instead majoring on the major issues, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for building up one another. That's what's really important. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Not those who come into the body of Christ and try to divide and carve up the body and have their own little you know, place over here and their own little following over here and they're the ones that's only got it right. God wants His children to be unified. And when the... Can you imagine? I mean, we, we can see even through our church here the, the wonderful impact that, that God can make in a group of people. 
But can you imagine if the church all over the world, I mean the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we all came together as one, what kind of impact we could make? The problem is even in America, we know that the church is scattered and separated and carved up and we just can't seem to get along with each other. And many times we allow the non-essential issues that really aren't that important to divide us and to keep us from truly being one army that can march against the gates of hell and against the powers of darkness. Verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. For although all things are clean, it is wrong to cause anyone to stumble by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And here, Paul is simply saying, what takes precedence over even my liberty is my brother and sister in Christ's welfare. Their spiritual welfare always trumps my liberty. Paul's not saying to give up my liberty. We're going to see that in a minute. Paul doesn't say back off from my convictions about things. All Paul is saying is that whatever I feel I have liberty to do as a Christian, to use my liberty with caution. Because the last thing I want to do with my Christian liberty is cause another brother or sister in Christ to maybe stumble Or do something that really their conscience or they've come to a different conviction about. And I realize tonight I'm giving an extreme example because I'm not even talking about conviction. I'm more talking about a struggle another Christian may have. But I think hopefully you'll get where I'm coming from. And if, if not, certainly we'll have time at the end for lots of questions tonight. If I as a Christian have come to believe that it's okay in moderation to have alcohol. But I know that I'm going out with a a Christian who hasn't been a Christian for a while and who basically is still a a recovering alcoholic. What Paul is saying here, to just flesh this out, is couldn't you just give up ordering that alcoholic beverage that night while you're out with them so that you're not tempting them or bringing that temptation that you know has been such a struggle in their life that they're trying to overcome and and keep clean on wouldn't it be better to give up your liberty because you love them and you don't want to cause them to stumble back into something that could destroy their walk with god that that's what paul simply he's not saying to give up your liberty of ever using alcohol in moderation he's simply saying use your liberty with caution And that is, as a Christian, we've always got to be sensitive to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to not just go through life like a bull and go, well, I've got the liberty to do it and I'm just going to do it regardless of who it affects and how it affects. God would say, that's not being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's not walking in love. That's being very self-serving. That's not looking at the army and what's good for the army of God as a whole. And we're more concerned about us than we are the army at whole. As General Lee says, General Stewart, there's no time to have that kind of a reaction. We need everyone. And we need to gather everyone into battle. Now again, you can apply that principle a lot of different ways, but I always usually use that one because it's pretty clear. And then he goes on to say, verse 22 and 23, The faith that you do have, keep it to yourself before God. Blessed is the one who does not judge himself by what he approves. Again, Paul is not saying that believers should abandon their convictions on these issues. He's simply saying exercise caution at all costs when practicing these things. And sometimes, some Christians even take this verse, this principle in verse 22, to say this. I'm even going to go so far as even though I believe personally that it's okay for me to drink alcohol in moderation, I'm only going to do that within my own home to keep that to myself because I never know out in public who may be watching me and what other Christian I may be causing to stumble. Now, again, that's their conviction. I'm not saying that should be your conviction. I'm just saying in some ways that's what Paul is saying here. Just to be aware of what's going on around us and who it might affect and how it might affect them. 
He's not saying to give up your convictions and he's not saying to give up your liberty in Christ. But he always says, again, our allegiance has to be Christ first, even before us. And Christ says, do what's best for the body as a whole, not just live life for how it affects me. And then I love verse 23. I probably use this verse in counseling more than anything else except maybe Colossians 3.15 about letting the peace of God rule in your heart or maybe 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your care upon him. But this one's an important one because when people start talking about making decisions and how do I know whether it's God's will or not, I always bring them back to Romans 14.23. The man who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not do so from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Don't miss that principle. The moment one acts contrary to personal conviction and conscience, whether it's right or wrong, that person sins. Because we're not trusting God, but now our trust has shifted to someone else and what they believe. And that's determining how I make my decision. I'm being pressured by another human being. I'm not following God on this. I'm not trusting His leading on this. I'm trusting what somebody else says and their viewpoint. I haven't come to my own conviction. I don't even know whether I believe it or not. In fact, I have a conviction about it, and I'm actually going against my conviction. Because the principle in verse 23 that I share with people all the time in counseling is, when in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. That's a great principle in making decisions. Now, the lack of peace that God may be giving you at that point that's causing your doubts may not be a forever thing. It may be a timing issue. It may be that the reason you don't have a peace about it is not because God is saying no completely. It may be no for now, but later on down the road, yeah, you'll have a peace about it and your doubts will disappear. But, but if I have a conviction about something and my conscience is not there and yet I do it anyway, Paul is saying, no, nah, that's not the way to live. When in doubt, don't. That's just a great principle to live our lives by because I've talked to many Christians who say, man, I wish I would have known that a couple of years ago because I had my doubts and I went ahead and did it anyway and it blew up in my face because God gives us that peace as his supernatural gift to be able to guide us into these decisions. Now, before I wrap things up tonight, because I want to go back to verse 11 and 12 in closing tonight and touch on a few other things. I know I've, we've went through here pretty quickly tonight, but what an important passage of Scripture. And I hope you hear my heart tonight. I, I'm saying this to myself. I'm saying this to all of us. I, I would just love for the church, the Christians everywhere, to get this, what God's saying here. Let's stop fighting over the non-essential issues. Let's accept and receive each other. Let's know who the real enemy is. Let's go after them. And let's become a unified army behind the cross of Jesus Christ. And let's go after the real enemy in our life. And not let these other things divide, divide us the way they do. All right. A few minutes for questions. Questions. Yes. I was going to tell you the translation. I've got the New Living Version. Uh-huh. Verse 23, it translates it. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yep. You do anything that's not you believe is not right, you're sinning. Yeah. Any other questions tonight? Yeah, we've got several back through here. Isn't part of the challenge when our convictions become so strong as they become essential in our view that they are part of a doctrinal strength, and you look at another Christian and you think, by not coming on board with this, you're blowing an essential as opposed to a gray area. Sometimes we get so convinced of our convictions that we're in a non-essential area, but we don't see it. Right. No, that's a great point. And I think that's why we need to let the Lord and His Spirit guide us in those areas. Yeah. Is, 
I think what I would say is, and, and I try to ask God this even in my relationships now, is this really important to you, God? Is this something you want me to take a stand for? Or is this something you want me to let go on because it's going to actually do more damage by holding on to this and making it an essential rather than a non-essential? But that's a great point. Yes, someone else back here. Yes. Well, maybe a follow-up on that. But how do you make the distinction between essential and non-essential? I, I think, and I know that this is a very general answer, I think that the Bible is the key to that. And that's why we need to get into the Bible. We need to read it. We need to understand it. Because the Bible is going to be very clear about the things that God would say, this is wrong. You know, don't do this or do this. And, and even though there's contention, even within what we would call the body of Christ about those things, a lot of times it goes back to an essential issue, which is the authority of the Bible and the authority of the Word of God. And there's a lot of people today who at least are part of the church who don't view the Bible as authoritative on these issues. Well, I know the Bible says this, but... and that's a problem, and that's something we have to navigate through. Because to me, then, I would come back and go, oh, no, the authority of the Bible is an essential for me, and I won't back down on that. But I think the Bible's pretty clear. Like, you know, just for instance, in our own context, uh, if you go back to uh, chapter 13, verse 13, uh, I think he gives us some clear things that are, or the things that are clearly black and white. Let us live de decently as in the daytime. And then here's what would be not in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in discord and jealousy. So right there, to me, it's like it's very clear. I don't have to debate with another Christian or shouldn't that jealousy is something that's, that's not pleasing to God. That sexual immorality is something that's not pleasing to God and not going to build me up and the body of Christ. These are things that to me are clear about those things. But there are many things within the body of Christ. And let me just, you know, touch on one in our more modern day church that a lot of times churches struggle over is the whole music thing. And, and the style of music and the kind of music and all of that. I personally think that that's a gray area. I think there are some, some biblical principles that go along with our worship that Pastor Ron has certainly hit on some of those the last couple of weeks. And I certainly think there are some biblical principles that go along with the kind of music that we listen to and the kind of music that we have in our church. But I think that God then gives a lot of leeway there within the body of Christ to what styles of music can fall into those things that would be pleasing to God. But, you know, I'll, I just share with you, and I know some of you know this, I come from a very conservative, legalistic background. And I mean, when I tried to introduce choruses into my church in New York, that we would not be singing out of the hymnal every week, I was like the Antichrist, okay? personally think that's a little steep. I, I don't agree with that, you know. I think that God is inspiring a lot of great music today that's written today, and we don't have to just uh, sing 300-year-old hymns to be spiritual, that we can sing songs that are being written now, that, and we can be spiritual. But again, those are the things that that's, I think, the non-essential stuff that we as Christians can get caught up in, start carving each other up with, start dividing ourselves instead of coming together and focusing on who the real... I, I always, and I know I'm not really, I just say go back to the Word of God. If you have a doubt about something, is this clearly taught in the Bible or not? Even nowadays with all of our Bible software and Bible study helps and stuff, get on a good Bible study site. Google a topic or, you know, press in a topic that maybe you're unsure of, you know, that you want to do more research on and see what the Bible says about this particular thing to come to your own conviction about. And you come to your own conviction about that thing. But then be willing, like I think any of us, 
to be open to having our convictions change because, again, we're talking about non-essential things here. We're not talking about the deity of Christ or the virgin birth of Christ or the authority of the Bible. We're talking about other things here tonight in chapter 14. All right, other questions? Yes, let's go up here. We'll get right back to Carolyn and over here. Yeah, I was just going to ask about denominational contention. Have we gone too far with denominational contention? Uh, Or are there big enough differences that we should be concerned? What's your opinion on that? Because clearly, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about... Right. Although Paul speaks out against... The Church of Paul, some of you are saying you're from the Church of Paul, some of you are saying you're the Church of Peter. He clearly is giving us the message, don't, don't do that. Right. But we've done it, and in some instances, there are some denominational differences that, that we clearly hold up as being substantial. Yeah. And I think that would be my answer. The question, if you didn't hear it, was Mike asked about then the whole denominational issue and how we have so many different denominations out there, even within the body of Christ. Are some of those legit? And are some of those, you know, not over non-essential? And I would say, yeah, they're both. I think there's some denominational distinctions based upon non-essentials. We should not have divided. I mean, I can say this because I even grew up in what's called the Church of the Brethren, which was actually, talk about how old I am. Uh, no, it was an offshoot of the Quaker Amish all the way back there. And, and the Church of the Brethren even divided itself like 12 times you know you've got grace brethren and you've got church of the brethren i mean it just it gets so unbelievable because they start carving themselves up over things that really aren't essential but i also believe that there are some denominational differences that we keep because of essential issues that that are important and that we feel are worth living or dying over and so i won't agree with that denominational stance on that because I believe the Bible clearly teaches that this is clearly right or clearly wrong. And so there are those divisions. So again, and and we've got to realize, and here's where part of the confusion comes in. We've got to realize, first of all, the church, what we're talking about here tonight is what God would hope to see in the church. Obviously, you know, we're never going to exist as the church all the way, the way God intended for it. We're human, you know. But secondly, we've also got to understand that part of the added confusion to the church, and the Bible talks about this, is not everybody who's part of the church is really part of the church. Hope you understand where I'm coming from there. Not everybody who claims to be part of the church is really part of the church. (laughs) That they've really accepted Christ as their Savior, and they're born again, and they... They're really not. They're part of the church, maybe visibly, but so that adds to the confusion of it because then you've got, and what God has told us in his word is don't try to figure all that out. I'll figure it out one day. I'll make sure I separate everybody and get everybody to the right place and all that kind of stuff. You just concentrate again on, you know, doing what you need to do. But that's true. You have to weigh that. Some denominational things I think are clearly, we need to take those stands Others, and especially those within denominations, oh my goodness, I think it's splitting hairs. It's just way too out there. Yeah. Someone over here. Yes. Um, Basing on verse 17, it says here, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, I have a question about fasting. So is it um, a non-essential thing or is it an essential thing for people? Because some people fast and if it's, and some people don't, um, is, it, um, is it something that needs to be addressed here? Because, you know, like um, if people don't know the power of fasting, of course they wouldn't fast. But if they know it, then they would fast. So. Okay. Um, and is it fasting if you do it slowly? Okay. <laughs> I believe that fasting is biblical, but based upon what Paul's talking about here, I have to be careful that as the Bible talks about the teaching of fasting as a whole, that again, I keep that to myself and I develop my own convictions about fasting and how often I want to fast and whatever, and that I don't try to impose my convictions about 
how many times I fast and how I fast and all that on another Christian. As long as I keep my fasting principles to me and and it's important to me and it helps me in my walk with God and whatever, that's great. And if God brings other Christians into my life and they ask me about it, I'll certainly tell them the benefits of it. But I have to then be careful that I don't start trying to impose my convictions upon them about fasting. I think that's where then we cross the line. Yeah, but that's a great question. Yeah, it's a matter of the heart. And here's the thing, too, why we don't want to be legalistic about that. Some Christians, even if they desire to fast, they can't for physical reasons. Some can't go without food. You know, they're on medication, whatever. And, you know, some people get so caught up. Well, they have, you know, it's like, no, they don't. You know, God doesn't want them to keel over just because they fasted. You know, again, what's really important here, you know, are we are we taking these things that, you know, can be important and maybe even should be important to us and then imposing our will upon the whole body? Uh, Paul would say not good. In fact, before we wrap up tonight, keep your finger there in Romans 14 and go back to Matthew's gospel, chapter 23. I want to show you that Jesus was saying the same thing that Paul was to the religious leaders of Israel who were getting it all wrong because they were majoring on the minors and they were minoring on the majors. And really, this is a scathing chapter in Matthew 23 where Jesus basically says to the religious leaders of Israel, guys, you got it, you got it wrong. You know, you're not doing it right. But I just want to direct your attention to two verses, verses 23 and 24, where Jesus says in Matthew 23, Woe to you experts in the law and you Pharisees, hypocrites! You give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain at a gnat, and you swallow a camel. And that's exactly what a lot of folks do. You know, here's this gnat, you know, and they're making a big deal out of this. Oh, we, we got to make sure that we do the deal and the cumin right, you know. Who cares about justice and righteousness and peace and mercy and all that? That's not really... And God's going, really? You're, you're taking the, the, the tithe of mint and cumin and all that to be more important than... What's really important, which goes along exactly what Paul said when he says the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's, it's righteousness. It's peace. It's, it's these things. Again, it's making sure that we're seeing the big picture and that as a Christian, what we're doing and the decisions that we make and the choices that we make, we're making because we're making for the good of the body and we're making for the good of the cause of Christ. And it's not always about me. Going back to chapter 14, if you would, for just a moment, and then I'll have just another minute for questions, if any of you have further, and we'll wrap it up tonight. We might actually get out of here a few minutes early. See, it's what happens when I don't have any worship. Come back next week, though. Seth and the group will be here for worship next week. They'll have a wonderful couple weeks of worship. I want to go back to the end of verse 10, 11, and 12, because a lot of Christians, when they come to chapter 14, and they know this is written to Christians, they struggle with this. And what you've got to understand is that Don't be scared of the word judgment (laughs) as a Christian. The word judgment seems to always have a negative connotation, even with Christians. The word judgment should not have a negative connotation with Christians. And the judgment that Paul's talking about here in Romans 14 to Christians is not a judgment for sin. My judgment for sin was taken by Christ on the cross of Calvary. I don't need to take the punishment for my sin. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was acknowledging, I was accepting the fact that He took the punishment for my sin. The judgment here that Paul's talking about is not a judgment for sin, it's a judgment for service. And what Paul is talking about is that one day, Christian, here's what we have to look forward to. Rather than dreading the judgment of God, it's just simply a time where me as a a soldier of Jesus Christ is going to be able to stand before my commander-in-chief and be rewarded and be commended and be given the medals of honor that I have deserved because I have done well in the struggle in which I found myself. That's why I want you to read these from a different perspective tonight when Paul says we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God. Therefore, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that word in the original, the word account, is a, it's a mathematical, it's a monetary term, an accounting, a ledger, if you will. And God is simply saying there's going to come a time in the future where I'm going to give an account, accounting of my service as a soldier of Jesus Christ in his army. And how committed and how faithful I was. And what I did to, to help the army of God move against the gates of hell and the kingdom of darkness. And God is going to hand out rewards and responsibilities. And guys, I want you to get this, that I believe in, you know, we're not going to study this, but maybe sometime in the mine, or I might do a small church or another Bible study about this, about the rewards, roles, and responsibilities of the Christian, how important it is that we live our Christian life faithfully, is because the responsibility that God is going to grant me for eternity is based upon my Christian life here and now. So when Christians say, well, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven, my sins are forgiven, I really don't care how I live my Christian life, I'm like, you don't? You don't realize that your Christian life is going to determine your roles and responsibilities throughout eternity and the rewards that you're going to... And God wants to give you these rewards and these blessings and, he, and, and it's all going to be based on our service. It's not a negative judgment. God's not going to throw any sins up in my face because my sins have been buried in the depths of the sea and my sins were hung on the cross of Christ and paid for. God is simply going to give me an accounting and I'm going to give an account of my service for Him and my reward of that service and be rewarded and commended for it. To me, it depends on how you and I live our Christian life or whether that's going to be a day we look forward to or whether that's a day we don't look forward to. But that's up to us. That's our responsibility. And any time we can change. And I, that's why every week it's so cool for me. I not only rejoice every Tuesday when at the staff meeting we see all the people who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior every Sunday here. We rejoice with that. And, and unlike a lot of churches who might go years without seeing someone come to know the Lord, every week we've got like 10 to 15 people in, every, you know, in, in, in our services accepting Christ as their Savior. And we rejoice over that. But we've got just as many, if not more, who every Sunday write out on the communication card, I'm rededicating my life to the Lord. I'm recommitting my life to the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm getting back in service and I'm, I'm going to raise my level of commitment to Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I know I was a Christian even before I... But, but the message touched my heart. Uh, the Spirit of God touched me. The Word of God touched me. And I'm raising my level of commitment. Why do we do that? We do that because we want to be the best soldier for Jesus Christ we can be. And so that one day when we do have this time where we stand before our commander in chief, it's going to be a day that we look forward to. Just like those soldiers who come back and those medals are pinned on them and they are commended for their faithful and brave and courageous service to our country. Same thing's going to happen in heaven one day. And it's something all of us should look forward to. And I hope you will be encouraged by that not discouraged by that. And if you are discouraged, guess what? God's giving you time to change. God's giving you time to say, okay, maybe you haven't been, you know, the soldier committed as, as you could have been, but there's always time to raise that level of commitment and say, you're right, God. It's time for me to get a little bit more serious about my relationship with you. All right. Any other questions before we wrap it up? Yeah. Jeff, how do you deal with instances where there are verses in the Bible, especially Paul in some of his letters to the churches, where he clearly says, don't do this, but it's based on the time that the letter is being written. Perfect example is if a woman is widowed, she should not remarry. I think it's in Corinthians. Not something we widows want to read in our Bibles and say that's the way we have to live our lives. I'm I'm looking for something, sorry. Actually, I'm not going to take time to go through this, 
but I think the passage, and, I don't, and I'm not saying I'm, I'd have to look at whatever passage you're referring to, but there's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that actually encourages widows to get married. So I would have to weigh both of those, because I think in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is very clear that he's saying it's okay for widows to get remarried, and, you know, don't, don't look at it from that perspective, so... Sorry, that's not a very good answer, but read First Timothy 5. Yes. You, you mean the eating meat or the vegetables part? It's on. Yeah. Okay, so what does the cook cook? What does the cook cook? <laughs> you serve everybody what their, what their needs are, right? Mm-hmm. So the leadership cooks everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is a little bit off base, but you brought up about the 10 or 15 people being saved every week and about people rededicating their lives to Christ. I have a 13-year-old son that we recently signed up for to help with uh, younger kids in the, in the Sunday school. There's a form that he has to fill out. And, and we just recently started attending this church uh, I used to attend next door. Um, on that form, there's a question: Have you have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I I even suspect that he may have felt pressure that he just had to say yes. Hmm. So my question is simply: What's the best avenue if if he's involved in the, uh, the Wednesday youth group? Mm-hmm. Or the, the the Sunday Sunday school is that the best avenue where he's going to get that opportunity to understand what it really means, or also with the, the message in the, in the sermon in church? Because my wife had the same point. She said, "Well, he probably doesn't know what it means." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great question, and and I think he would. I think all of our ministries here strive to, you know, teach the Bible even to the very youngest of kids. It's one of the cool things about Cornerstone that we do it at their level, but we teach the Bible. I, I think, though, I would suggest, too, that maybe find out who the leaders are of that ministry, and I would talk to them. You'd be very surprised that our leaders and directors of our ministries are very happy to follow up with people who may have filled out that but maybe they're not sure whatever and just to sort of nail that down and work that work through that with them that they would be very happy to do that and i think that's the route that i would i would suggest you go to but you're right yeah um it's eight o'clock guys i've enjoyed our time together two days before thanksgiving thank you guys for being here i was thinking if we had 50 tonight we'd be happy and we've got more than 50 so Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. So don't forget, next week, Romans 15, the 27th, the following week, Romans 16, December the 4th, December 11th, the mine Christmas party. Guys, you are dismissed. Have a great evening.